A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to How to Cope. Every episode, writer Becky Howard, that's me, and my friend psychotherapist Lucy Clyde will be talking about how we can look after our mental health during the coronavirus crisis and beyond. Because whatever type of pandemic you're having, it's hard on all of us. So let's try and get through it the best way we can by talking. This time, we're talking to best-selling author Erin Kelly. Well, I'm feeling like I should have brought more. Um, I mean, I'm in a, a really tiny room. Does does it sound okay? It sounds good. It sounds yeah. good. Yeah, you're 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 sounding fine. I've just noticed how on brand your backdrop is. Oh yeah. Well, you see, most of the zooms I do at the moment are um, are oh, for the book. Actively flog the book, so um, it's subliminal messaging. Oh, so yeah. we should I... say what Erin. This might be a good time for us to introduce Erin as we're talking about the uh, the pictures behind her, which are all of ballet dancers. Erin's uh, just written. Uh, uh, Becky, you should do this because you've you've done you've oh done more God. research than I have, and Becky's well, actually also, read most I've, of it. And I've and no, I finished it. Oh, well done. I finished. I finished the book. Um, so we've got Erin Kelly with us today, who is a journalist and author extraordinaire. Um, who has written, uh, would you describe all your books as psychological thrillers? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so you're known for uh, books like The Poison Tree, um, He Said, She Said, and your latest book is out, came out last week or a yeah. couple of weeks ago, um, which is called Watch Her Fall. And one of the tricky things I've realised, having finished the book, like inhaled it, is I've got I literally feel like I can't ask. I want to ask you everything about it, but I can't because it's just spoiler city. It really is. And actually, wow. you know, when I first realised I was going to be publishing a book into lockdown, I was mm. devastated. And now I'm really pleased because usually on a book tour, I will travel around and I'll have to talk for 40 minutes, 50 minutes uninterrupted about the book. And you can really only get about 40% of the way in before you yeah. just have to stop. Because yeah. once, once the twist is out, then the whole book is, um, yeah, all, the rest of the discussion about how I did things is off the table. So, totally. Right. I see. Because I am, I, am, I am about, I'd say, a fifth of the way through, if that. Uh, so I am, I'm waiting. I, I, yeah. I 
quite like this. I quite like that you guys are talking about the twist because I'm very, very excited about it. That's good. <laughs> but it's set, in, it's set in the world of ballet, isn't it? So hence the hence the um the, the pictures of ballerinas behind you, and hence the very on brand backdrop. My very own. Well, I mean, that's my wall of inspiration. So whatever mm. I'm working on, I always so my study that that where I'm talking to you from now. Um, my house was sold as a four bedroom house, but you couldn't fit a bed in this room. No. I mean, I touch both walls when oh, I spread my arms up, but it's absolutely plastered in postcards from my author friends and pictures to inspire me, um, whatever I'm working about now. And those um, behind me, I've got I cut up a programme. I went to the Royal Ballet to see Swan Lake and I cut up the programme and pasted them all over like I was a teenager with my favourite pop stars. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's my inspiration wall that is now handily also performing its subliminal marketing. <laughs> and that's what people see in the background. So, yeah. How has it all been? How has how the um, how is the promotional... Is this your first book in lockdown? It is, isn't it? You've You've obviously you've you've released loads of books before in in mm. normal times how has it been uh, releasing a book in lockdown yeah so I had a paperback come out in lockdown last summer not in deep lockdown it came out in July um but with when like me you're published in hardback and paperback the hardback is the one where all the promotion happens and then the paperback is so a hardback is where we hope to uh ensnare the hardcore readers that you know the people who do buy hardback books and they are also the readers more likely to engage with live events and to make the trek to see people yeah and they're the ones who come to festivals and signings so um and a paperback is different that's mainly really with paperbacks it's about marketing and it's somebody else's job to get it onto the supermarket so I did a little bit of zooming last summer um, but nothing, nothing like this. Not launching a book for the first time. So it's been, it's been very interesting to see the things that I've missed and to see the things that I haven't missed. And I realise that I have not missed spending eight hours on trains to talk to three people in a regional library, staying in a in a premier inn, and then coming home again, wondering why we just spent two hundred quid to go and sell five books. Which is, I mean, that's mm. a scenario, but you never mm. know with book events what the turnout will be like until you get there what I have missed desperately is um, literary festivals because I'm part of the crime writing community and there are there's you know a good couple of hundred of us mm -hmm. and we all know each other and we all meet at the same places two or three times a year and I often find myself sharing a stage with people I really respect and want to get to know better and that has been something uh, I've missed much more than I expected to. Um, so I know loads of people in the last year will have had the culture shock of working from home. I've been doing that for 20 years now. I've been yeah. doing that for 20 years. So my water cooler is, well, I mean, now it's it's Facebook, which is unhealthy in a different way. But my, you know, the place where I meet my colleagues are festivals. And it's been really difficult. And I also actually mm -hmm. miss... Um, my publishing team so I haven't seen my agent or my editor in the flesh for over a year and it's a cliche I think that author life is one long lovely boozy lunch but you know we do have those lunches once or twice a year and I do often pop into my publisher for a coffee to think you know things like cover design we would have done that in a room and that was done on screen and I didn't enjoy that as much as I used to like going into the office. 
apart from mm. it's a treat to leave the house you know when you've been sitting in a tiny room for 20 years it's <laughs> 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 so and glamorous and you know well, it sounds like lockdown is kind of uh, that you 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 were already trained for lockdown I mean it sounds had, like you kind of had quite a lot of the you know the skill set and the tools the that so many of us had to scramble to acquire and you were you were there right yeah I was there but equally um I was used to I had a very structured day I had a very structured way of writing which is that the minute my children were in school I worked so schools closing came as an utter shock to the system because although I had the skill set to work from home I didn't have you know I'm self-employed and I'm I'm one of the excluded so I didn't qualify for mm-hmm. any grants or supports and unlike other uh, unlike a lot of my friends I wasn't furloughed I'm very lucky in that I didn't lose my living but um, it was a huge adjustment learning to work with a full house and with children who needed me more I think than they have at any stage since toddlerhood trying to get this arbitrary very proscriptive one-size-fits-all curriculum into children who have no interest in learning for example a part whole method oh god don't start that i'm gonna have flashbacks (laughs) to my year one child part whole well it's just incredibly difficult now I teach I teach creative writing to adults yeah I love that but they are invested in a way I have <laughs> come to realize year olds aren't you know when when yeah. they paid hundreds of pounds to do one of my courses they are there because they want to and they're eager to learn and I thought I was an amazing teacher because I was teaching people who wanted to be there and it turns out that when you are instilling your own skills into somebody who's really receptive to it, that's a really joyful teaching experience. When you don't know what you're doing and your child is wondering why their fun mum has suddenly turned into this kind of shrieking harpy, that's another challenge and just, it absolutely floored me. I mm. I hated um, I hated every minute of homeschooling my children. I mean, I've never enjoyed doing homework with them either or enforcing that and I found it's still it's still not okay it's still not the same the the dynamic in our house um and so how did you manage the the homeschooling and to finish this you know very very you know intricate uh crafted integrally into oh my god I can't speak it's too early Erin okay <laughs> it's a very well crafted and plotted novel well saved Becky thank you thank you I'm such a pro um how did you do that how did you manage it because you did obviously yeah I did it was it was late I mean you know we really squeaked in weeks to go before the deadline and everybody else in the process had to really work tightly so I did it a number of ways I got up at 5 30 every morning so that I had at least 90 minutes clean writing and that that actually didn't bother me particularly because I've never slept well at this time of year anyway so it's it's a year ago actually since yeah. we were in the, of the storm isn't it at the beginning yeah. of April um and I in the uh, the risk of sounding like a a massive hippie I always find that in the 
couple of months leading up to the solstice, my sleep falls apart. It's I, I cannot sleep through that early light. Even if wow. I'm in a blindfold, there's just something. Um, and conversely, I can sleep for 11 hours a night in the middle of the winter. So yeah. I think my you are finely tuned, Erin. <laughs> yeah, I am. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm really at one with the season. So I just, <laughs> well, instead of instead of being beating myself up about this kind of seasonal insomnia, I'm just going to use the time. Yeah. And then I didn't really, um, I didn't really teach my kids much. I did the bare minimum. It was a, schoolwork seemed to be a lot more flexible in those early days. Mm. Anyway, that first lockdown, it was very much just you know do what you can. We're not expecting yeah. a lot. Um, yeah. For one of my children, I kind of what I what I did do was invent my own curriculum for her because I could see that the gaps in her learning were not the same as the work she was set. So that was just, mm. um, for the youngest one, I was just doing consolidating times tables and things. And I also hired a maths tutor. That was the biggest thing I did. I hired somebody to take over maths for both the girls at huge expense, but I did not, I thought, well, we're not spending money on any of the stuff that, you know, everything was sharp. Um, yeah, all the coffees that you weren't drinking, <laughs> you know, anything like that, really, isn't it? It all adds up. Yeah, it's the it's the swimming sessions. And my kids like ice skating, which okay. is a, a fantastic hobby for them, but it's really not cheap. So, yeah, I decided to in, make that one investment in. And that was an investment not just in their education, but my mental health. I just thought in I can your sanity. I mean, I yeah. think that was the thing is, I'm what I, as you're talking, I'm slightly reliving my own experience, which was <laughs> not not fun um, at all. Uh, and I, you know, um, I only managed to get essential worker status sort of towards June or July uh, because you know people, uh, mental health stuff all got sort of scrapped. Um, were you still seeing your clients on Zoom? I, yeah, I was. What really struck me at the time and what I've really picked up on talking to, I have to say mainly women, uh, and what you're really reminding me of as you talk, is this business of having to be, and Becky and I have talked about it a lot, is that business of having to be everything all at once, all of a sudden, with no preparation. So you go from being a professional, competent woman uh, and who has earmarked her time to get everything done. So you are on it, right, in that way that... Mm -hmm mums sorry I'm sure there are many many dads who are like this too but you know uh who I parents don't know <laughs> I, I don't know that many either but I just wanted to say that um yeah. <laughs> it felt unfair um but you know who do that too who are absolutely rigid about the organization and who rely on you know bits of ad hoc here and there and and things falling into place so I think the stress of homeschooling is about suddenly you're trying to cover all the roles and I think so many of us really got to know ourselves in a way that we hadn't before. So I had always thought, you know, the things that were stopping me from being this engaged earth mother parent were the fact that I had chosen to have a career and be fulfilled. And then when I had delivered my book and I had the holidays with my kids and all I had was time with them, that's when it really fell apart for me. I actually, and um, I had to, uh, so I, I thought, won't it be fabulous when I don't have to teach them anymore? And I've got this 
uninterrupted six weeks. Um, I think holiday clubs were open, but they don't particularly enjoy them. But I couldn't, you know, we couldn't do, you know, you can, you can build a whole day around an hour at the swimming pool most yeah. of the time. Uh, and you can't have a kid round to keep your child company. And even when things eased, nothing was the same. And that is when I completely lost it. I think it was probably the uh, anticlimax of having delivered a book as well. So I I went on um, antidepressants in July of 2020, which I think actually lockdown forced to a head things that had been something that hadn't been quite right for a long time. And the very the very last burst of the book, the bit where my editor had seen it and we were doing, and I was working with feedback rather than writing into a void, mm. uh, was done, and again, with super early mornings, but this time with a functioning brain. Um, so, it was, which was really interesting. And when I went to the GP, I thought I had early onset dementia and so did my husband because I wasn't, um, I've always thought of depression as, a kind of can't get out of bed sadness but it wasn't that it was an absolute breakdown of function yeah. like unable to keep an appointment even if that appointment was to chat to a couple of friends on a whatsapp unable to follow a shopping list um i couldn't spell certain words i couldn't read a book um so yeah i went thinking i was going i you know thinking it was going to be the full still alice scenario and i was saying my goodbyes to everybody but um, yeah, uh, it turned out that a couple of weeks on Circuline was what I needed to get my function back. And so it's it, but it's interesting that I didn't fall apart when I was in crisis. It was afterwards. But we never do. We, yeah. we, we don't. We, 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 we keep it together until we're safe. And that's the sort of that's, you know, that that's that's one of the big challenges about where we all are collectively now is that it's beginning to look like things are safe. And once we all get to a place of safety, that's when people will start to crumble because we, 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 we keep up, we keep it all together. And, you know, you have a lot of responsibilities, so you keep them together. And then once, you know, you're allowed to breathe, it mm. sounds like you, you know, you, you, as you say, you sort of felt you fell apart a bit. I mean, what, what a revolutionary um, diagnosis to have for you. Yeah, it was fantastic. Well, I also thought it might be perimenopause. I'm 44, so that's... Oh, there is that, yes. That, but no, it was, uh, it was. And I think actually probably it had been a couple of years that I hadn't been at full function. So in some ways, lockdown did me a favour, or the pandemic did me a favour, because it forced to the front something that I'd probably been muddling through about mm. but after I mean the first few days on it are quite grotty mm. but about a week in my oldest child said how come you're being so nice all of a sudden and I hadn't told her wow. that I'd you know that I'd asked for help or that I'd got it and so the kids noticed and my husband noticed immediately yeah. that um, it was really helping me so I think it is amazing when something happens and we finally make sense to ourselves mm you know, when an experience that we've had that we didn't quite understand, where we've been fumbling around and we finally understand that something that something was wrong, because I think there's always that self-doubt. It's me. I should try harder. I'm not scheduling properly. I'm not eating right. I'm not sleeping right or whatever. Mm. Or I should be more this or less that. But I think when somebody actually gives you a diagnosis and there's a medication that will help you, it, it can feel astonishing. 
I uh, see now the, what it did for me was almost the opposite. So it oh. me, so the opposite of thinking it's so I wasn't beating myself up. I was blaming everything on everybody else. Okay. Only, okay. You know, if only my children would do what they told me, then I wouldn't be. The, if only my husband would take the initiative with the homeschooling, then I wouldn't be like this. And it gave me real clarity to think, oh, perhaps, perhaps I was projecting a little bit. <laughs> So I was, you know, I had some apologies to make in some ways, not that, um, you know, just there were a couple of things where I was able to say to my husband, okay, I can see that this response was out of proportion to, you know, which is what you had been telling me at the time. And it's massively actually improved my marriage because I've just got a great load of clarity because I've got the space now to see what's me and what genuinely is someone else. Um, and especially with the kids as well, I can see when, so for example, when we locked down again, this time I did do the homeschooling. I decided that I had a book in the can and now I'm actually at a place where I'm terribly behind on the next book and I'm starting to worry about that. But I did do the homeschooling and I was able to do things that I didn't, that I was too fuzzy to do before. Like when my daughter was very distressed I wouldn't push through we would go on the trampoline instead and I didn't have I don't know if I don't know if the word is patience or insight perspective perspective. yeah Yeah, I think it's perspective I I look back now and I'm you know on the few days that I did attempt homeschooling I'm really appalled that sometimes I made a crying child finish well we all know so I think I think we I know I think all, all of us who were at home with kids there were times when, you know, we plumbed new depths mm-hmm. <laughs> as parents that we don't, we, you know, no, no matter how experienced you are as a parent, I don't think you you had ever experienced before. And certainly I had some very shameful moments yeah. that I can't think about because it just pains me to think about them. Um and and that's that but that's that's where we found ourselves and it, i think it's really interesting that you know there's already this kind of you know looking back at the pandemic and, and looking at the different phases we were all in and there is a lot of um you know a, a kind of a trope about the first lockdown isn't there that it was all like great fun and really relaxed because everyone was outside and it was sunny right you know and that this lockdown was harder because obviously it was winter and 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 dark and miserable and everyone was knackered and everything like that but obviously you had a very different experience because of your own you know your mental health was in a much better place I'm guessing this time around and you were able to kind of perhaps deal with the the stresses of lockdown in a in a different way yeah although it was different because my kids were much less okay this time around um they Mm. were so the older one transferred to year seven and just as friendships were starting to form, they were suddenly thrust back into their houses. And this time in secondary school, she had live lessons. And so we didn't have the flexibility to just drive out to the countryside and, you know, jump yeah. in for a couple of hours in the middle of the day. And by the time her lessons had ended, you know, in midwinter, it's dark at four yeah. o'clock. And what yeah. had been lovely about the first lockdown was that so we're really lucky in that we live opposite a huge park and it's got a woodland that backs onto it and it's got a cafe and at half six every evening 
we would walk we would just have a walk we would go out for 45 minutes to an hour and just walk get an ice cream and come back and that was the focus of our evenings but then when when it's pitch dark and freezing the focus of their evenings became they just transitioned from one screen to another and yeah oh god yeah. I, I was i was really hot on screen use before all this happened and there did come a point where everybody was so exhausted, even though I was, even though I was functioning better than I had before, there comes a point when I you've just got nothing else to offer them. Yeah. There's nothing else to do. It's dark. You can't see your friends. Um, they don't particularly, or the older one certainly doesn't particularly, she loves to text her friends, but she doesn't enjoy FaceTime. That's, um, she, she prefers to game with them or text. And it's very, difficult for me to park a lot of my judgment about that and that's been where we've clashed and again this is new terrain because my parents never had to negotiate anything like this and when you know I said earlier that I felt that I was spending all my discipline on enforcing teaching and there's you know, I find that I'm a much more lax parent in other ways than my parents were, just because there's this whole relatively new arena of control, I don't know if that's the right word, but of responsibility and monitoring that has to happen when your children are Grow up now. 12 and 8. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the internet is the Wild West, and mm-hmm. it's not so much the content, I think. I'm pretty maybe I'm being very naive but you know I know what they're it's it's Roblox and chat and it's Mm. not that bad but it's the amount of time and the level of engagement and I found that very very difficult to let go with friends all around me saying let go it's you know unprecedented times um but there is a constant tick 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 of guilt I think I think the one of the really awful things about parenthood or one of the, the 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 difficulties that we have is when something starts to happen you think oh my god this is it I'm never going to be able to stop them so you know when babies start throwing food you just think you have this vision of them being a 30 year old <laughs> hurling spaghetti across the restaurant but maybe that was just me um you know but we catastrophize don't we we kind of have this idea that oh my god oh my god this is it now this is it now and you know a lot of baby books and parenting books really reinforce that don't get them into this habit don't get them, you'll never get them out and actually that's crap because you know change is inevitable development is inevitable growth is inevitable Mm -hmm. it does it happens it happens to us all it doesn't happen just to you know kids aren't separate from their parents as you've so um so discovered during this lockdown thing that everybody is impacted by everybody right Mm -hmm. so as we grow and change as parents and our children grow and change you know it will it will shift I don't it's I think it's almost more frustrating at the moment because we're within striking distance of normality and I suppose change is the only constant, isn't it, with parent, well, with anything. Um, yeah. I do, you know, a lot of my friends are saying that we wonder what this has done to our relationships. Yes, it's interesting you mentioned that thing about relationships. And you, you mentioned that earlier on that the dynamic, you felt the dynamic was still a little bit off balance, mm. is how it had been. Um, do you think that is down to the kind of, you know, this intensity and the fact that we've had to become, become these people with our kids that even as parents we'd never had to be before it must be 
it must be and it's um i can i've i can hear myself nagging or not nagging but i can i can see how everything sounds like a nag when for so long i've had to enforce so much stuff and i mean my kids are hilarious they're the funniest people i know and we are getting around it with humor um for example the older one when she won't do anything i um i speak to her in the oldie english language so she finds that so irritating that she just <laughs> oh that's very good erin that's a very very good tip we are oh. finding, we are finding ways around it and actually you know the the phone that she's always on is a way that we can you know we share funny things that we see on the internet and she pranks me by telling me I'm clicking one link and it's a link to a video she knows I that won't <laughs> you know there are there are um, silver linings in there but it is it's it's just derailed the path we were on as it as it has for everyone and the older one in particular this I think it's been hardest for her because she should have been or she is becoming much more independent she you know she goes out with her friends on her own now she walks to the houses she goes to school on her own but I think she probably feels very infantilized by the fact that her default companion is me mm. and that's not where she's at in her development I think that's the um I think you, you know you've got a daughter who is roughly the same age as my son who's 13 and I think this is really sorry to generalize again but this feels like the difference between boys and girls that you know a 12 year old girl is is kind of you know wanting to become independent and and kind of separate a little bit more from my parents whereas 13 year old boy is very happy in lockdown to literally stay in their bedroom in their bed all day long <laughs> and it suits his current mindset down to the ground yeah. and oh, I'm just she's, oh. she's happy she's happy in bed on her phone I mean that's that's very much a happy place but there are you know also she needs to she needs to be with people who aren't me when she is with people and she's so sick of walking in mud and the little one still finds delight in nature and you know, can can look at a snail for thirty minutes and be absolutely jazzed by it, but she just needs different stimulation than I can offer but her. But so do you, don't you? As you know, <laughs> yes. I mean, that's yeah. the thing. Is it's kind of the, you know, you, don't, you can't separate your kind of your well being of your children from yeah. yours. But when when school reopened and I was able to have you know five minute chats with my friends through a mask two meters across uh, pick up and break up I felt I felt such a I mean I was almost euphoric some days just you know the way I always used to just to find out how everybody's weekend had been not even not not a heart to heart just that those little bits of connection in the flesh with somebody who wasn't my next of kin and I you know, I appreciate, I've got such a, I'm very lucky to have a good gang of mums at school. And, um, you know, just those little moments gave me back to myself in a way that I'd underestimated. You've been through a lot of different experiences through the pandemic that, you know, obviously many related to your own mental health, some, you know, obviously your work and obviously, you know, that your kids. What will you take from it? do you think do you do you feel like you've you've got uh, managed to glean any insights about your own mental health through this process hopefully I have become much less judgmental 
across the board um partly because i have learned to let things go i mean you said lucy that i thrived off a kind of quite military uh, i'm not organized but i do stick you know the one thing mm. i do did the decks for work mm. during the day and i think i have learned that i can't control things as much as i thought well, I've, I've learned that i can't control anything really and that's <laughs> <laughs> no none of us can that's the shock of adulthood that's what no one tells you <laughs> but i think i think that's probably long term been very good for me and i think actually although it doesn't feel like that now it will have built resilience in my children because they will come out of the other side and they will remember the time that they didn't go out for a year and they will damaged as their generation are they will get through it um i have learned to live with less in that i've come to i've really come to appreciate tiny things so i don't mm. where i live it's opposite a beautiful park but i when we bought this house i couldn't afford to live near my friends so i live in a suburb that's about a mile away and about you know a, a good price bracket down from mm. where my children go to school mm. and where all my closest friends live um and that was how we got on the property ladder and for a while i just thought oh i've got you know there's no nice coffee shops here like there were up in whetstone and it's a bit tatty and the mm. you know the housing stock is just into war semis as far as the eye can see and you know very privileged whinging um and i really you know i really got over myself and i mm. thought well aren't i lucky aren't i lucky to have a garden with a trampoline and aren't i lucky that there's this park that i used to think was boring but now i've seen it go from bluebells to wild garlic to dandelion mm. you know and, yeah yeah and uh to um sort of you know wild basil growing and it's just i've, I've really learned to appreciate the small things so i have learned to think a lot less about uh external things and find contentment in tiny things and i think that is a really good thing i've also learned that i'm a much less i've also learned a lot about the kind of parent i am which is way lazier than i thought like way <laughs> lazier and way yeah. less to crafting and you know the the activity the, the best times i have with my kids is when we're you know in the car fighting about what's on the radio and we're out for a wander somewhere new mm. you know we when london opened up a tiny bit we drove to primrose hill and walked around the empty camden market with the kids and that was one of the best days we've had in ages we didn't do, we didn't do anything mm-hmm. once again all folk mm. day was the ice cream that we bought and again it's a small that's a that, that's appreciating those small things isn't it and, and like you were saying talking about you know being able to kind of gain perspective on what you have and what you can enjoy is this is the same and i really hope we're able you know we're all able to not lose that when things ramp up again and everything becomes available again you know i'm really i really hope that we can hold on to that fact that what actually kept us going is still there and we can still enjoy those things and do you know what else i want to take away from it which i never used to do before is i want to keep walking with people so whenever i go down it's always i mean i've said before how that i just think offices are the most sexy and exciting places in the world (laughs) because i don't ever have to go to one but actually i'm gonna suggest to my agent that next time we have a meeting instead of sitting and having coffee let's you know she she works in soho we can 
you know, we can trot down to the river and make it a walking meeting. And I want to, when I see my friends, let's, rather than going straight to the pub, you know, let's, let's wander let's around. Yeah. Yeah, let's walk, let's walk, let's, um, you know, even if we're walking, swigging a gin in a tin like teenagers, mm. open a bottle of cider in a graveyard, let's <laughs> get in of those um, and I wouldn't put it past any of my friends to do that either. Um, <laughs> the rules, the rules will like, change. I like, yeah, I would like to. I would like to keep some kind of active socialising as a normal thing, because sitting down. And I think we've just done enough of sitting down and feeling in prison. So, yeah, rather than going to houses, let's let's get out there and and make walking and and doing stuff together as well as chatting. Um, Erin, thank you so much for um, coming on today. Um, it's been it's been absolutely brilliant to talk to you. And I'm only sorry that we weren't able to talk about the book in <laughs> more detail because, you know, it's impossible um, not to reveal multiple, multiple plot twists and spoilers. But I absolutely, honestly, I really, really loved it. And knowing nothing about the world of ballet as I do um I really felt like I do now which is obviously down to you I I feel like you know I totally understand what it would be like to go to one of these incredibly insanely punishing London ballet schools what is interesting actually just about general lockdown health is all of my research for the book was cancelled so I was going to go backstage and um at the Royal Ballet and I was going to watch rehearsals and sit in a workshop but I had to kind of turn to Instagram and all of these ballerinas who had been projecting on Instagram as we all do their best life but you think about what your best photo looks like versus what a ballerina's best photo looks like and and then all of a sudden they were plunged into lockdown along with the rest of us and they started talking to the camera and you could see their mental health crumbling in real time along with the rest of us and my book is basically about ballerinas on the verge of a nervous breakdown two rival dancers it was really I got an insight into their vulnerability in a way that I Mm. never would have if I'd been formally and you saw them thinking especially the dancers who were at the peak of their careers but also at the upper age limit and they were oh yes time's running out 30s and they thought well if especially as lockdown went on and they would realize well I might never perform again to an yeah. audience you know I was due to I was due to have my final show and sometimes you know they would cry on camera they would be but you also saw the resilience come through as well because there was just the first week I mean I don't know about you guys but I did nothing but look at the news and the internet just watching the numbers creep up and the grief and the sadness and the fear but after about a week, 10 days, they all started getting bars fitted in their tiny little flats and they had squares of lino and then they kept on and it was really inspiring to see mm. like everybody else. They had their crash, they thought all was lost and then they were like, well, I'm a ballerina, this is what I do. I'm, and they trained every day as though they were about to take the stage. That was, uh, yeah, it's very strangely, the dancers who I had hoped were going to help me finish my book did, but in a very different way yeah. than yes. Expected. Yeah, and that's that's yeah another another one of those weird sort of insights and and benefits that we've got over this past year, isn't it? And for you, it was obviously a very particular one. But you know, you would have got you got so much more into their mindset, like you said, than you would have done meeting them all, you know, polished and and perfect on stage. Oh well, look, thank you so much um, for joining us today.
Yeah, it'd be nice to see you on the other side. Wouldn't that be good? Wouldn't that be amazing? I know, right? For a walk. (laughs) (laughs) For a walk, absolutely. And maybe a can of G&T. Yeah. All right. Bye, Erin. Bye. Bye now. Bye. Thanks for listening to How to Cope with Becky Howard and Lucy Clyde. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate them and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And tell your friends. Thanks for listening to How to Cope. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.